This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. Welcome everybody to Educational Triage. This is Tony and I am, of course, joined with the wonderful Philip Summers. Hey, Philip. Aloha. How are you doing, Tony? I am well. I'm a little tired, but such is life. Such right? is life. It's almost uh, energizing springtime. So It is. I mean, you can hear autumn panting. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And you are sitting there petting your cat. My comatose cat. <laughs> your comatose cat. <laughs> He's snoring, actually. I was worried he might get picked up. There might be a little buzz in the background. My cat snores. Oh. <laughs> well, today, um, I came across an article the other day, and it was called, 40 years ago, a nation at risk warned of a rising tide of mediocrity in U.S. schools. Has anything changed? Because we've been through some big reforms, and you and I have been able to work through a lot of that and uh mm -hmm. has it been worth it and so this came from a the, the article is in the newsletter called the conversation and it was written by morgan pulikoff who's an associate professor of education at the university of southern california and what did you think what did, first of all, what did you think of the article? And then we'll get into the meat of it, because now we're just admiring our dishes before we tuck in. <laughs> the dishes. Uh, well, I was I made the mistake of refreshing myself, too, with uh, the whole thing, because I sort of lost it all in the time. And, in the, you know, it came around in 83, I believe, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And shocked us all. And um, I liked... <laughs> The path that we took is is, is interesting. I, I have a problem a lot with a lot of people that the standards changed and in an effort to sort of standardize the standards, um, it, it's sort of like they changed from place to place. It, it's hard to explain. What do you mean? There's a better thesis on it. Um, well, for example, when Ronald Reagan got all behind that, you know, he wanted to keep the states. He wanted to get the. He got rid of the Department of Education, of course. And, right. Um, then he made the states more responsible for the curriculums and the freedom to have the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the same time, it sort of tightened everyone's focus on standards. But what they were were standards that sort of didn't match each other, and like the core curriculum eventually came through. And that was adapted by, well, how many states went with it? There was only a few exceptions at, at the end. There, it, there was a few exceptions to core curriculum. There was a few holdouts, but as time there were went 35. By, slowly, 35, that's what it was, yeah. Right, that joined and, in. And then it sort of fractured a touch because of the 15. So I guess mm -hmm. my point is this, that the way that it's measured, if we if we made the improvements at all or addressed it, sort of is not standardized. They're not as consistent as they can be. Tell me more. Well, I mean, as I said, we went with standards and we, we got no child left behind, which was an effort to sort of focus all the curriculum. Right. But that, that came mediocrity out. Yeah. Right. But that came like 
a, almost two decades later. Correct. Correct. And we're talking about where we are now, though. Yeah. Um, but at the time, there was there was a focused effort to raise up mediocrity, but it was a lot of publicity in a lot of ways, too. Mm -hmm. um, and then as in now, they were measuring on test scores that, you know, their parents had done like back in the 60s, 15 years before or so. And they'd say that the test scores had, had sunken greatly, had failed, had, had gone down greatly. And that was a, a um, it was, there was a need for alarm and uh, we might be falling behind other nations. Right. And so the standard there was what were they actually comparing those tests to? then and now 1983 82 to 65 ish for example and um so is that a, a comparable fair measure and then since then having raised the alarm and the movements forward has there been a consistent fair measure moving forward to see if the mediocrity has left the system and I, and right. I would say that's inconsistent is all craziness. It's like, I can't find, I know what the data is. I knew what they were testing against in the mm -hmm. six from the sixties. And, and there's a lot of data that says that that's, that that's not the best measure of the 1960s, for example, it depends on what you look at, but right. I don't quite know where the we 70s. go from here. Pardon me? And the seventies. Yeah. And the seventies. Because but, why would they skip a decade? Well, the, yeah, the seventies are sort of like the decline of education or something. It's like, I didn't get a lot of, I should look more into data in the seventies, but I'm not sure what test scores to look up. I mean, how do you measure school performance? Even well, both that's know it's very independent. Well, actually that's something that you and I have been talking about for quite some time. And that sure. is how unreliable test scores actually are. Yeah. And, and depending on which ones you want to use and. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. And right. so now we're they're standing here after all that time and have we addressed the problem? And, and, and I would say that I don't know if there's a way to comparably or to effectively look backward on it. Right. And say, yes, or, you know, look, we made this gain or that gain. I do know politically what happened. It was very um, interesting. But yeah, as far as like realistic gains or losses, I'm not quite sure how to measure that. Mm hmm. So let's take a look at what yeah. the most important points were from a nation at risk. Yeah, let's go through that. OK, the first one is American education is in a crisis. Yeah. And that had to do with just basic test scores and the competencies, I believe, com as compared to other nations. Yeah, I think those are the other nation scores. And so we were, we were falling behind. Um, yeah. I remember right. that. Japan. And it says here that the factors <laughs> were declining test scores, mm -hmm. lack of rigorous standards, mm -hmm. and greater, uh, let's see, and the gap between the performance of white students and minority students. So the achievement gap. Yeah. Yeah. So it says that the crisis threatens the nation's economic security and social fabric that the nation must take steps to address the crisis, including increasing funding for schools, more rigorous standards, and greater parental involvement. And I think these are all things that we're gonna to have to talk about anyway. And the report <laughs> argues that students should be accountable for their own learning. And right. then, that would probably be actually that's that's where okay so those are the most salient points yeah and I then the article agree. the article comes back and says that some progress has been made since that was published but that there's still a lot of work to be done uh it cites declining test scores a lack of rigor in the curriculum and a gap between the performance of white students mm -hmm. and minority students as some of the challenges still facing them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> and that even though we've made this huge, huge leap in a sense to close the achievement gap, it's still there. Okay. Um, 
the there is also let's see I'm trying to find my notes okay there's still a gap between wealthy families and poor students so the the big thing that I think that we need to look at though is that mm-hmm. if we take a look at these um we will see that the dropout rate has gone from 14% to 6%, if not better, which is huge. That's true. That is true. It has gone down. So why don't we take a look at the declining test scores? Because reading and math, they made there were huge gains that were made in reading and math. And then all of a sudden we have learning loss. And the learning loss happened at the end of the pandemic. So they say, yeah, that's the big thing. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure again what they're basing that on, except for just time out of classes. No, but they're basing it. They're basing it on pre, pre lockdown scores. Yeah, and post lock and at return to school scores. Sure. So they're taking a look at that, um, whether or not the kids are proficient or not, because how many kids were actually online learning oh, yeah, yeah. with their computers and how many of them were unsupervised and just playing video games or out just doing whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. The blank and, screen. Yeah. And they just kind of went off and lived life as they saw it fit. Right. Yeah. There was <laughs> a loss in learning per se and the test scores do show it. There's also so many things going on too. Um, I fear the reaction to that loss of learning. I've actually heard reports is doubling down on school time, taking away free time, recesses, things like that. And I'm going, no, no, pull up, pull up. That's the wrong approach. You know, we're just going to get more schooly. It's like, ooh, yeah. have you noticed? The kids are kind of going, I don't know if I like this school thing. And you're going to well, get more schooly. <laughs> they became more schooly because every... I don't know whether or not that they took into account any form of child psychology when they started getting more <laughs> schooly, as you call it, okay? Yeah, you know, just business-like. <laughs> I mean, what do kids want to do? They want to play. Yes, they do. They, they, they have so much energy that they yes. need to be able to blast it out, so to speak. They do. Through recess. I mean, when I would go to school, we would we would be playing on the playground first thing in the morning. Then we'd go into our classrooms. We'd have a little bit of learning. We'd do whatever. And then we'd blast back out. Then we'd come back in, do more learning. And then we would have lunch. And then we would have more recess. And then we'd go back in the room. And then we'd have one more recess. And then we'd do some more. And by that time, we were exhausted and we went home. Yep. I remember that. And I don't perfect. remember. I liked it. Hmm? it wasn't perfect. You know, I'm not saying the good old days. You know, it wasn't the good old days, but there certainly was lots of room to blow off that energy. Yeah, there was. And what they say is that it allows students the time to process the information that they've had in the morning and to reset so that they're ready. And the and you have fewer instances of ADHD. You have I mean, mentally, yeah. socially, everything, it's all right there. That's where you take care of the majority of it because they're doing social interactions. Yeah. And the problems with kids now is the fact that they're all so locked in on their games. They're so locked in on social media, on their phones. Their parents are on their phones mm-hmm. yeah. and on their screens. And so how much conversation actually happens in the home and sure, I know you can say, well, not in my house. Well, we're not talking about you then. We're talking about the vast majority. <laughs> talking about the mothers who are breastfeeding while they're scrolling on their phones and their kids are looking at them to try to create a bond with them. And so they don't, they're not able to create a bond because the mother is not looking at them. And that's one of the most important things. There's all kind, there are all kinds of missing pieces in a child's life now because of technology. 
Yeah, that is true. That is true. So, uh, and back when Nation at Risk came out, sure, there were still, there was that call, and as we talked about with teachers' rights, that there had been a decline prior to that in teacher recruitment. They were having a hard time with it. And then all of a sudden, this became the battle cry and more people came in and they started saying, I'm carrying the flag. I'm going to teach. This is my calling. I really want to get in there. I want to help. I, I want to be there for that. So, uh, it's ironic. Mm-hmm. Because at that particular period of time, the groundwork was being laid for the underfunding and the devaluation that we're facing now. Right. <laughs> so, and and we talked about that um, in our in our last two parter where we talked about the funding and the infrastructure and everything else. And uh, if you're going to talk about equity, you got to be talking about funding because why are the wealthier schools getting more money than the lower socioeconomic serving schools? Why mm-hmm. do and same thing with the staff? Why aren't those staff all the way across? Why aren't we treating everybody equally? Yeah. And everybody, and you know what? I can ask those questions and I will get a hundred different responses from people. But I think you'll probably get them within the framework of the same idea set. And I think that idea set's coming kind of old. It's getting old, you know, the old, well, yeah, but it's a waste of money. Or, oh, you're right, but I don't want my taxes raised. Or, no, I just don't want to pay for that inside the back of their head, thinking about the question that requires more funding to be answered. Mm-hmm. You know, They're still going, yep, but I'm still not going to put any money into that. And it's Wait. sort of like a, a sort of a, a kind of a brain, a, a zeitgeist. It's like a, a belief yeah. that, no, it's just not worth the money. Although I'll say it's worth the money, I won't really give it the money. Well, saying that you are going to fight for schools, mm-hmm. I'm going to say is a political gaslight. Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. Because the politicians are the ones who are sucking the money and siphoning it away from the schools for yeah. other projects. It's the same old, it's the same old scam. It they they really bring is. something up for a vote and they say, this is for the children. So what I caution people to do is to read the fine print because you will find that five to 10%, if even that much goes to the children, the rest goes elsewhere. So, (laughs) I mean, it's that I, my, who was it? It was a family member and he and his wife, they were talking and they said, yeah, we're going to vote for that because it's for the kids. And I said, did you read it closely? How much of that money is going for the kids? And so mm-hmm. I tossed the voters pamphlet there and they stared at me and they looked at it and they're like, no, we can't vote for it. Most people don't read the voters pamphlet, though. Yeah, they don't. And, and <laughs> other people say, well, even if five or 10 percent is going for the kids, that's enough. And you think, Really? Really? Well, the problem, too, is that, at least in the state of Oregon, the way it was, still is, that there's that bond, and that bond doesn't pay for teachers. It pays for, like, the new facility or the, yeah, it, it, it mm-hmm. pays for stuff. It doesn't pay for people. And people don't understand that. Well, I just paid for that, you know, bond. Doesn't that take care of that? No, that's not for teachers. That was for a new school or improvements to the older one. And, yeah. That, and it those has are to be usually... done that way. Right. Those are usually for infrastructure. <laughs> yeah. So it gets you a nice school district, but it doesn't give you those teachers that everyone knows makes the right. go around. <laughs> yeah. Right. So now let's talk about the next piece I'm going to talk about with this is the parental involvement, because it says that we need to have more parental involvement. Now, right now, as you know, they passed a bill, the Parents' Rights Bill. <laughs> in education. And there are a lot of people who are furious about it and other people who are just going crazy over the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to say that 
that the solution is actually somewhere in the middle. That it's not, you know, I, I've seen teachers who are furious because how dare a parent come in to their classroom or, or tell them what they can teach when they're the ones with the advanced degree. So they mm. know better. Well, that's, I'm going to have to say that somebody's suffering from a bit of hubris there. Oh, because yeah, I, I would pretend to do that. Because you're supposed to be in charge of my kid. And so I want to know what's going on with my kid and, yeah. and how my kid is doing there. There's some parents who really don't care. There's some parents who just figured that, you know, if their kids are acting like little piranhas feeding on a steak all day, just going mm. half crazy and just being destructive, they don't care about that. They care about what materials you're using. That's not okay either. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I don't think that, I think that parental bill of rights is just a, it's meaningless and it's a political football. It is. <laughs> because, yeah, if you come into me and say, hey, I've, uh, I've, I've had actually a parent say just once. Um, when I was showing, um, they were in the room and I was showing old uh, racist ads, no less, of um, back in the Durham tobacco and, you know, just very, very mm -hmm. horrible African-American images, you know, large, sure am sweet and all that. And, it's, you know, it just, it portrays the, all the stereotypical stuff, the watermelon eating, it's just, it's awful. And these were in the middle, these were in um, drugstore windows and I was showing the kids this and, um, one of the parents didn't quite understand like, what, what is that? And I had to explain, Oh, that's a lesson we're, we're studying, you know, how people change and how we accept things and mores over the years. This used to be acceptable. And, and then of course, you know, get the sixties where the little lady's staying at home, you know, doing the laundry, get her a new washing machine. That's just a tad sexist there. And, and, but you know, we get better as we get older and wiser, supposedly. So I was just making that note, but the one parent went, Holy cow, what the heck is that? And I don't blame well, her. <laughs> well, there's an evolution. Yeah. Yeah. There's an evolution. I mean, the men no longer go out with big clubs and spears and bows. Yeah, well, and, they don't and all try wear to... those ties. They don't wear hats to work anymore. That's for sure. <laughs> well, some do, but. The 60s. Oh, it's, in the 60s, you know, that hat thing. It, yeah. The Darbies. Yeah. I mean, they had a style. And guys don't do that anymore. <laughs> it was right. definitely men's style. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, things did yeah, change. But change. if a parent came in and asked me what I was teaching, I have had no problem with that and discussing it with I have them. No problem. Because yeah. if you have a problem explaining to a parent what it is you're doing. Now, the one thing I do take issue with are the parents who got the um, superintendent or something fired for showing David. Michelangelo's David. I've heard about that stuff all my life. Every about 20 but, years it comes out. But you know that that kind of censorship is not new. <laughs> no, it's, it isn't. There were new. people it's screaming new. about um, a print of Botticelli, a Botticelli print yeah. showing, showing, showing the cherubim in the newspaper. And they were talking about how that was pornographic. So that's when you have a teachable moment and you can talk about what is art. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's true. I was going to say, you don't talk about what is porn, per se, but what is art? No, no, no. <laughs> Because that's true. You don't want to go that way. But I was just thinking, when I was a kid, there was this game called Masterpiece. And it's the weirdest I game for kids. You had it? I you have it. You the paintings and all that? You still have it. And the forgeries. And yeah, you yeah forgery. I have I have it. I have it yes. in the box completely there together in my oh. in my closet out there. I, I have the cards somewhere. I bought the set. I had it, and then I, I have some of the. I have all the cards now. But yeah, there was, as I recall, I think there was a great work of art with some nudity in it. And I was just playing, you know, nudity, nudity. Yeah. Did was, you say nudity? Nudity. Yeah. <laughs> there was nudity in there. Uh, I can't remember which one. I think David. A picture of David. No, he had to be a painting. So what it was, I can't recall. But nudity was, it was always understood that that was not porn, that was art. It's the human form. What's going to happen yes, in biology class when they have to talk about that's, the yeah. reproductive organs and the body? I saw a biology and, book, you know, for that matter at right. that age too. So there you go. Yeah. 
exactly. So, so, so I, yeah, how you got in trouble for showing David? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, parents complain. Beautiful works of art in all of history. It's something to behold. I don't know. And he did it out of marble. Good God, <laughs> Jesus! It's actually magnificent. He carved it out of stone. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I'm impressed. But yeah, well, it's, it's, yeah. It's I mean, because he did some delicate features in there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> even his nether regions are small. Yeah, they're they, small. Yeah. yeah, and they are intricate. So, um, yeah, I mean, the guy's cut. <laughs> it's like, it's like, no, I'd be the giant. I'd turn and go, no, you win. Yeah, I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine how that would have been destroyed had he made a wrong thing with the chisel and the hammer? Yes. I mean, I know. I don't, I don't even fathom how he did that. And it's, it's so beautiful. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, Beautiful in craftsmanship it's, and in conception and in fiber and form and everything. It's amazing. Well, it's a testament to <laughs> the abilities that people had. Yeah. You know, and to think that that's, as, that's pornographic in any way, I don't think you're getting it. You're, right. You're missing the whole human point, I think. Yeah. Right. So parental involvement... I mean, if parents want to be involved, then that's great. If you want to involve parents by sending out, say, a newsletter saying this is what we're doing, contact me via X and we can have a conversation or just start up a forum or -hmm. something where you can get in there. And that way, anybody who has any, uh, they're putting out some bad mojo out there, you can put a damper on it really quickly. But um, I think... That is one area that I think has really gotten, um, and we've talked about this time and time again, I think this is something that has really gotten out of hand with people saying no and people saying yes, and, and you know, just There's not being able to... on both sides. Exactly. There's some so, folks being, you know, uh, there that are, you know, would make me uncomfortable as a parent. Not that I want to ban books, but it's like... You know, you sure this is maybe high school level, maybe, maybe college level, but it also <laughs> depends on the kid. So yeah. generally speaking, teachers don't assign a real uber controversial novel for everybody. You know, I, I taught my students, I don't think I brought this up, yeah. this, the story of Epiphany by James Joyce, mm. Ah, mm, which is yeah. pretty much like two or three pages, maybe four. And um, it's all about teaching what is an epiphany. If somebody has an epiphany in literature, and they were ninth graders. Well, I had one parent who went ballistic, had never read it, (laughs) but, but they were a televangelist, and they sort of lost it because how dare you teach my child, James Joyce. (laughs) And... I said, I'll talk to you and, and, you know, let's have a conversation about it. Have you read it? And he said, no, I don't need to read it. And I said, well, why don't you read it or ask your son to, to just explain it to you? And I never heard from him again. Mm-hmm. So sometimes ignorance can be the biggest enemy. It's, yeah, it's really something to, to oppose an idea, you know, contempt without prior investigation. <laughs> yes, that I like that phrase. Um, okay, so let's take a look at learning loss um, and everything that we've done. Have we really made huge gains in reading, writing, and arithmetic? And have we? No, rith- I, know, I was thinking arithmetic. Arithmetic's always been hard. Well, for <laughs> me, it has been. I think. Like forever. I know, think eventually, once I. Once I get everything else, you know, kind of leveled off, I'm going to start looking at some courses in so I can reteach myself some algebra, go into algebra two, maybe do some geometry and then get into some of the higher maths just to kind of get everything going just for my own edification, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you think about it, back in the old days, some people said that they were terrible with math, but they just, the truth is, is with math, you just don't get it until you get it. 
Yeah. And and that's what I was sort of getting at was um, <laughs> funny um, that we're as a nation, we've never really been proficient, you know, like at math. We've always thought we're behind in math, we're behind in math. And I'm thinking as a race, as a species, as a being, you know, as a general, not I got rid of race, but as general humans, I don't think many of us are inclined um, as many toward math. I think there's there's a, a, a minority of people uh, that are comfortable with it and kind of speak it real well. And the rest of us, you know, dabble in it to varying degrees. Um, I don't think it's ever really been a general aptitude. Um, I, I can do mathematics and I've done it for a career and things and it had to be accurate, like medical math and things. Right. But I mean, I would never dream of going into engineering. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. Funny story. I don't this, think that way per se. Yeah. This is the person who barely passed geometry and algebra two. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was... I was offered a job as an engineer and they were going to send me back to school to get my engineering degree. Yeah. And I thought, Oh no, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do any of that. No, 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 no. No, it just doesn't but, float your boat. <laughs> well, it would, you know, it would have been interesting, but I think I would have been stressed out because having to go back to school, cause I was done with school. So, and I think those are the two biggest components. What are the, yeah. what's the relevance of what it is that you're learning and how, yes. how ready are you in order to take those on? So, and I'm not <laughs> well, saying, there it is. and I don't think that we have it in our culture to, to do math or anything. I think for a long time and, and, you know, you might find this, other people agreeing with it, but I think we went with the lowest common denominator and tried to work our way up rather because I've seen this in classrooms yeah, where you yeah, teach yeah. to the lowest common denominator. You don't teach and then help kids get up there because if they don't have to do anything in order to figure stuff out and they don't see it as achievable or it, then it's boring and why would they want to do it? Right. But if you have something and you find those right those little ledges and you start getting them to climb up those ledges and you're there and they feel supported, then I think they're going to get there. <laughs> but there's it's also teaching to aspect. excellence. I was that one kid that they were trying to bring up, I think I may mm -hmm. be wrong, but I wasn't that good at it. In any case, it put a spotlight on me as far as like you said it yourself, you have to get it when you get it. And I wasn't mm -hmm. getting it. And I just, I wasn't for lack of trying. I would have, I would have, done anything at that time to, to get it. I just wasn't understanding it. And to this day, it's always been kind of like that. It's like, okay, I work with a concept, work with a concept. I kind of get them later. <laughs> I mean, after I'm out of the class and I live mm -hmm. some life, I go, hey, I'm kind of understanding how that works now. I think I would take the class again. I'd probably do well, better. <laughs> right, because you've had time to process it. Yeah, use it a little bit. Hey, that, now I kind of understand it. But for a grade and like you know, an exercise, it was like, oh, help. Well, here, <laughs> here's the odd part, and that is, you know, the entrance exam in order to get into the School of Education in Oregon was, it, maybe it still is, I don't know, was the CBEST, the California Basic Education Skills. Yeah, test. which I actually, uh, And I looked at somebody <laughs> who, was, who was a bit of a nerd that I kind of sort of knew, and I said, hey, um, if I pay you, will you tutor me in the math so that I can get through this? Because I had the study guides and everything, and I wasn't sure that I could do it. He got me going, and all of a sudden I realized I knew this stuff, and it just started falling right into place. Oh. And I'm thinking to myself, why didn't this happen when I was in high school? I could have used those grades. <laughs> I could use this ease, <laughs> plus stress. Hey, well, yeah. I didn't do it. I, I passed the CBEST, but... Um, oh, I did too. I but remember. and I got a high score on my math. But I remember taking geometry and I remember I was on the phone with one of my friends, Karen Basta. And we were on the phone trying to figure out some of these problems in geometry. And all of a sudden I said, What if? And she goes, oh! And I said, Oh my God, 
oh my god we got it we've got it and she's like yeah yeah so we were pumped we walked into class the next day we're just like puffing out our chest and it's like we finally got it oh yeah baby and we looked up and our teacher mr utter i kid you not that was his name he was from australia he was a visiting teacher mr utter spelled as in a cow's utter he said who would like to come up here and put it up on the board and karen and i are like yeah so he called on me so i went up there and i did it and i turned around and there were all these mouths that looked like they were ready to swallow something but they weren't sure what it was and their eyes were kind of what and Karen's just sitting there beaming and I'm beaming. And Mr. Utter looked at me and said, what is this? And I said, the answer. <laughs> and he said, how did you get that? And I said, it's all right there. All the work is all right there. I got it, got it, got it. And I could see Karen's face was starting to fall a little bit. And I was like, no, no, no. He just doesn't understand. <laughs> And then, and then he said, who else would like to come up? And oh, of course, yes. another friend of mine who was good at math said, I'll do it. <laughs> he came up there and he did it. And it, and I sat there and I looked at it and I looked at Karen and I looked at mine. And I'm like, I don't get it. I right. Get it. Right. Get and I, I can see my answer. Somebody's right answer. I can see it. my work doesn't match their work. Now I don't get it. It's like mm-hmm. I'm back to score zero. It wasn't I like have I made no idea how you progress. even right how you uh. even got that. And then we had to learn the postulates and the theorems and everything because we had to write proofs. Yeah, right. Okay. And my brother looked at me and said, "Dude, it's 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 all about logic." And I said, "It's not about logic because if it was logical, then I would get it right off the bat. It would have like a boom, boom." <laughs> Boom, boom. Logic. <laughs> so, anyway. What's that say about me? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, math. Yeah. Math has revealed to me many now, things about my psyche. <laughs> but see, and so I'm then, saying that when we're trying to pump up those grades in math and those scores in math, I don't think we've ever really been able to because <clears throat> I think most of America is like you and I. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we do get it. We do. We eventually, get it eventually. do. Right. Right. We do. We do. And we do I, I eventually get it. But then there are so many people who are so turned off by it that they are one, not going to class. So, of course, they're not going to ingest it. <laughs> Two, they fail it because it's not a safe environment for them to try anything. Mm. Even though I know some incredible teachers who are there constantly, yeah, ready to work to with that. the students. And I've had students who said, yeah, I go up there, but they're not there. And I call the teacher and they say, yeah, we were here, but here are the days that we are here. And this is the time that I can do it because they've only got so much time anyway. Oh, yeah. And the kid's like, yeah, well, that doesn't work for me. And like, <laughs> I live okay. in the tutoring center in college yeah. so most of the time for just the math grade for sure. Mm-hmm. So you have writing. to. Um, there has yeah. to be a way. And one thing that I think would be really helpful is if schools had peer-to-peer tutoring. Oh, that would be nice. But how are you going to know the peer hmm? that tutors? Yeah, that would be nice. But how do you reward the peer that tutors? Well, I think that if they are, well, maybe they get credit at the end of the year. Well, I would love to say they get credit, but most schools won't do it. Well, they might idiots. give them like an aid thing, but they don't really. And I think, geez, man, you teach best what you most need to learn. If you're out teaching kids math. Ooh, There's a teacher that I know who became a math teacher is one of the most loved math teachers mm. in her school. And that's exactly why she became a math teacher was because she could not figure it out. So she became a math teacher just so she could figure it out. That would be something I could do if I could do math. I would love to do something like that because it would be very nice to help people like right. me. Right, and I remember, <laughs> I remember Sister Mary Ellen in ninth grade, and no Cheech and Chong 
jokes because so that was the same Ellen time Ellen that Cheech yeah. and Chong came out. Oh, yeah, Ellen. Yeah, um, she said the best teachers are the ones who go into something that they don't understand yeah. because they have to learn it themselves. So, okay. So reading and writing. Well, yeah. And I was, kids, I was a little worried about it. You're worried about reading have and writing? Seen, have you seen texting? <laughs> have you seen posts? Oh, oh here's the problem with writing is one punctuation. Yeah. What punctuation? Two, because remember, um, we were working with some kids who just really couldn't even piece a sentence together. Yeah, I didn't know which words indicated which words to go in which order. Right. So they were missing else. a lot yeah. of it. Yeah. And it's and it's like, come on, you you read, right? Well, the way you learn how to write is by reading. And so having the kids read, 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 and then ask them to write. I had kids who told me that they couldn't write. So one thing I made them do was every time we had a test in English class, guess what they had to do? An essay right. test. Yeah, you always have to write. It's an essay test. I, yeah, they, I hated it too. <laughs> so, but, yeah. but as I tell them, writing is talking. Yes. But on paper. I mean, don't write and um, because I've actually had kids write and um. <laughs> wrote and um and the kid he was writing that I can't remember what it's called in speech it's got a name but yeah they wrote out their stutter um and and it's like no you don't have to actually write your stutter your, <laughs> you can lose that in your writing well they also ask can I just dictate it to my computer and it's like no no if you're going to no. type it type it but don't get it off of something else. Yeah, but, that's not, you have to develop a voice first and that's called writing. <laughs> right. But, you know, I started at the beginning. We talk, we, yeah. we talk about webbing and how that can, how webbing can then turn into an organizing, can turn into an outline and all of that. And I heard from a student last night who I taught over 10 years ago. Mm hmm who told me that he still uses all of this in his writing. He loves writing. He hated writing. And then yeah, one yeah. day he turned something into me, and I guess I made some kind of a comment because <laughs> he didn't believe in himself. And I said something to him, and he said that turned him around. And Gosh. we had it was, it was just one of those moments where you realize, yeah, I did do something. Yeah, and that yeah, that's the moment. Where, I can't remember what it was I said, but he said I said this or something, and it changed him. Like, hey, that's why yeah. I do this. <laughs> but the testing, I think the testing is something else that we need to look at because how are we testing? What are we testing? I know it disturbs the heck out of me. I don't. I just. I don't think you can measure the human intelligence. At with all the different factors, the age, the socioeconomic status, the funding, the this, the that, or mm -hmm. you know, even two persons that are like living in the same situation, they are different individuals, you know. And how do you test for that? I mean, I know how I've made improvements in my life, but I know also that no one has made improvements in their life like I've made mine. Therefore, are mine unmeasurable or, you know what I'm saying? It's, right. How do you measure humans? It's tough. I can't. It just, I really resist it. And when they start going, well, then we, this policy indicates that test scores, that are, you know, we're not doing so well. I'm like, but what test scores? Well, it depends on I what we are measuring it. for. Exactly. And, and so, yeah, the whole premise of it. I think crazy. maybe with the billions of dollars that the testing industrial complex has come out with, that they earn every year, that they should be able to, yeah. they should be able to be, to figure out a way to test kids in so many different areas, in so many different ways. And what are they testing I mean, for? Yeah. Just think about how much money that they're getting. And it's still the same method of testing. They have not changed that. 
So maybe yeah, the method of testing, maybe that's what needs to change right now. <sighs> maybe that's a big one. But then we get back to the funding and the infrastructure, and we look at the lower SES, socioeconomic system, right. status, kids, and we look at why aren't they able to progress higher. And then there are people in the public sector who say, well, we're trying to do what we can. And then for some reason or other, there is, let's say, a charter school that opens up and the kids run. And so now the public schools have competition and are they keeping up? So because those teachers aren't making quite as much money as the public school teachers, but what's what what's the big difference? Is that the parental involvement? Is that the parental involvement oh, that we're talking about? Where the, yeah. where the where the parents are being supportive of the students and the school. And so the kids Ideally, do not want yeah. It's small environment. <laughs> if you're going to that one of the too. bigger institutional high schools, then you're stuck in that system. The bell rings, you know, the school's run by the bus schedule. You know, the heck with you the kids and the teaching thing. It's the bus schedule. And so mm-hmm. you're running a big building like that. It's not going to be as good a learning experience as a charter school. Right. And it's basically about all about compliance. Yeah. So so he says one thing. Um, Academically. In this article that really got to me. And I think it's it's a great summation for where we are today. Hmm. And he says, the result of all these trends is that the reform consensus that brought about a broadly national approach to education reform, because when yeah, up yeah. until up until recently, really, you had both both sides of the aisle coming together to work on these policies. They both agree on that one, yeah. They did. They did. So a broadly national approach to education reform is splintering into red state, blue state versions. He predicts, I expect red state reform will likely emphasize school choice and back-to-basics curriculum focused on reading, math, and the avoidance of controversial topics. I expect blue state reform will likely emphasize whole child supports like mental health, social, emotional learning, and curriculum that is intended to reflect the culture of the nation's increasingly diverse student body. Yes. My question is, what is the purpose of the school? Mm Mm-hmm. And if we're talking about reading, writing, and reading, writing, and arithmetic, yeah, and just having those core subjects, why aren't why can't we do that? But we're also modeling the others, and with social with SEL or social emotional learning, why aren't we working on that in practice rather than? in small sessions in the classroom. And what is it that we're doing? Are we doing things are we doing things that are really benefiting the children or are they benefiting a political ideology that we that we want to impart because we're in a school and we feel that that's the important piece of it. Mm-hmm. So my job is to educate children. My job was to educate them initially as an English teacher, mm-hmm. as a speech teacher, as a humanities teacher, as a writing, te- whatever it was that I was hired to do. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden we have all these social addendums that came on board. Mm-hmm. And my question is, at what cost? at what cost are we doing that? And is it benefiting the children or is it benefiting something that we need for ourselves? I, I, I think it's overall a political 
a politically driven sort of agenda and the kids are stuck in the middle. Right. And so the question then is, is that why we have so much conflict between the parents and the teachers and the schools? Because the kids are, by and large, their property. So are we entering into the nanny state that we talked about years ago? And so now we're going into some sort of dystopian incubator series where the kids are going to be raised by other people. And we just pay those other people to do it because all the parents are then are breeders and earners who then just commit the kids into the system to come out as processed by whomever as whatever they need. Well, yeah, I think it's, we defend that system. I think deep down inside our society doesn't want to let go of that system, that school system, the one that's breaking. They want, they want to send their kids to the school and the schools want to be big. They want, they want to teach basically pre-college or academics. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they want to ignore vocation. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, they want to test and artificially measure, you know, the progress of, of each and each individual there against each other. Um, and deep down inside, we don't want to make the radical changes it's going to take to get rid of that system that's been around for 142, jeez, 170 some years now. Actually, it's it's been Russian. just a little over 100 years. Remember, we talked about that. That was in the Nickel yeah. Goyle. But the book. Prussian models in there. The Prussian model. About the it's over 100. Wasn't it? When they started, making, they started imitating factories, basically going, hey, the Prussian we'll make a army. factory. Yeah. It was the Prussian <laughs> army. Yeah. So, so it's been so long. I mean, good mm-hmm. Like I said, we're talking about banning chat GPT in a public school. That got talked about and actually done. It'll get undone, but you can't step in the way of that stuff. Well, I think chat GPT is actually a very useful tool. Oh, very. <laughs> And yeah. so Microsoft has their version. Google now has their version. And it's everybody's coming out with their own versions of it. So, I mean, the best thing to do is to get out there and experiment with that. Exactly. The other, you, you, you reminded me of another point that I meant to get to, and that is um, the skills. Students are leaving unskilled. They don't have the skills for vocations. They don't have the skills for jobs. And so then we started promoting the STEM but we got rid of all the vocations. Yeah. But people's people's toilets still get clogged and so do their sinks. People's pipes burst. Who are you going to call? Yep. You're going to call a STEM? Somebody who's in in an an engineer to come over and do it for you? Yeah, no, you got to have why a why it broke. <laughs> it's broken. Here's why. <laughs> now <I'll> see. <laughs> I mean, we have to yeah. think about all these facets of our own society and everybody who makes up the society. Well, my kid's not going to do that. Well, why don't you let the kid determine what the kid wants to do? Maybe that changes. We do have changes in our careers, but that was another thing because all of a sudden we have these academic reforms that Mm -hmm. tossed all of those out. And all of a sudden we get back into career technical education and STEM and the career technical education is now a refined version of voc ed. And we have so many different forms of it that are coming on board. So (laughs) we get rid of things only to bring them back and have to figure out ways of getting people who are trained enough to bring them back. It's yeah. It's It's, that thing just changes, but it all stays the same. Yeah. And I believe that this is just another cycle. I, I think it's a cycle too. I just, I, th- I really believe in schools though. We have to make big changes because we can't keep on this bell ringing thing is everybody in the whole, everybody can hear it knows it's wrong. They Here's know. what I would like. Here's what I would like. Yeah. I would like schools to have to jettison anybody who never had a teaching certificate. I would like schools to have everybody who is an administrator have to go back to the classroom for two years before they can have another administrative job. 
The other thing I want people to do is as a community, take a look at their at their school's administration and ask yourself, why do we have an epidemic of teachers leaving when we have an overabundance of administrators who should be in the classroom? So admin should be, they should cut admin and put them back in the classroom Wouldn't that solve a lot of the problem? Because in the district that I left, they are getting more and more and more admin to the point where their boardroom is no longer sufficient because they have to pack more people in. And so it's 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 a hoarder's nightmare or dream. Really? <laughs> the bad the boardroom's bad. You know, depending on well, I guess maybe it's my nightmare, a hoarder would be thrilled because you can't move around. There are so many people that they have to put out they have to farm out offices in other schools into the schools. And this is a huge building. And so they have to do the board meetings now at another school. The whole intent of getting this building was so that there was more than enough room for people to move around freely, for the school district to grow in a reasonable fashion. And we would have that because the district only has two high schools. Mm -hmm. But then if you take a look at how the staff, how you have a growing number of administrators in the district, a shrinking number of teachers, and a shrinking number of classified. So the question becomes, excuse me, what is behind this growth of administration? That's a good question. Maybe this is something we need to bring up. We should. I would like to know how many different jobs have been created in the last, say, 20 years. Mm -hmm. In administration. Yeah. At the expense of teaching. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So. Have we come at, have we come very far from a nation at risk? We have. We've made leaps and bounds. We've yeah. worked on the achievement gap. And I think that's the most I think that's the most germane point. But we it's still need to work on bringing that down. Where are we going to be in another 10 years? That would be interesting. Yeah. Oof. Smaller schools, smaller schools. That's <laughs> just, I just can't cry out a lot. I'm working in a lot of big schools all over and they're beautiful, mm-hmm. many of them, but they're big. And impersonal. They're impersonal. They are impersonal. And I, I worked in such a personal sort of small setting school. I just can't imagine going to school and kind of not knowing everybody in a way, you know, at least right. a little bit. Not like, who are you? <laughs> You've been going here two years? I don't even know who you are. You know? <laughs> That's, that's, that's odd, but yeah. But I've known students who sat next to other kids for an entire semester and had no idea who they were. Well, that's true too. And well, really, even I in was, a small setting, I mean, we used to give them a hard in time. In a small you group name setting. Yet, guy? We've been here, you know, in a small group setting. Oh, really? I had this one girl who was so <laughs> into, she was so into her, um, into Tumblr. And she was oh. into her, into her, like, at that time, it was like a little Game Boy kind of thing. And I was talking to her because I had my one-on-one service that I was doing. And this other girl was sitting there. And I said, is there, who in your, who in your math class could you go to to ask this question? She said, I don't know. And I said, well, you're in groups in that class because I know your class. And she said, I don't know. I said, who's in your group? She said, I have absolutely no idea. And the girl sitting next to her in this conversation looked at her and said, I have been tutoring you all year long. She goes, who are you? Oh, my gosh. And she said, are you effing kidding me? (laughs) No kidding. And the girl just kind of gave a nervous laugh. And she said, I never looked you in the face before. Oh my gosh. Oh, help us all. <laughs> I've had kids in my program where we never had more than 40 kids, but I had all these, you know, and half of those kids were on my team and the other half were on yeah. another teacher's team. Yeah. 
and we would do all these community things. And I would say, could you hand this over to so-and-so? And it would be, say, March or April of the year. And they'd both been there all year. And they said, who's that? <laughs> and so it's just so <laughs> odd. And they I go, never had that. Of course, we didn't have the telephones at the time. Yeah, this they just went around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you effing kidding me. <laughs> I never she was your fit face. to be tied. Well, yeah. I'm a human being. <laughs> oh my gosh. This phone thing is bad, but that's another yeah, we all know it. We should stop. I've stopped. This was in uh, this was in twenty ten. Oh that was it was yeah. It's still yeah. Either two thousand nine or ten. Yeah. In the spring, it was really, really odd. It got people too. Yeah, yeah. I know adults that just like all of a sudden they were just stuck in their phone. They were blackberries at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ooh, that just took over. Yep. Exactly. Okay, right. so we will wrap up and just for everybody, make sure that you subscribe, leave us a review, and make sure that you check for our next episode, which will be coming at you next week. We do have a whole catalog of older episodes. And at some point, we will be on YouTube. So check us out there. Okay. And so, Philip, once again, mm-hmm. I will say adios. Aloha. And we are off.